Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, what's going on? Let's talk curtain. Let's talk Cruton. Yes, if you were listening to this podcast, you were listening to episode one of our two-part early signing period podcast. Uh, today's December 16th is the start of the early signing period. And Penn State, in terms of everyone who is currently committed uh, to the Nittany Lions, was able to take care of all of its business, get everyone to put pen to paper. Uh, are they doing that, Nick? Do they do pen to paper still with fax machines? Like, Do we know if they've updated that at all for uh, it not being 1981 anymore? Last I checked, they're still faxing letters in because they, I mean, we didn't really get I, again, I live on the West Coast now, so most of signing day happens before I'm awake at this point. Yeah. So I didn't I haven't really followed along with a um, I didn't follow along with what was actually happening in the quote unquote war room today. I think they usually give a pretty good look in there. Um, but from what I remember, the last time they did it, they were still the fax machine was still there. They were still still keeping it old school in that way. God, you think that's one of those things that they'd like make it a point to update just because, you know, it's, we're, we're getting into a point where you don't need fax machines, but I sound like Dan Dockage right now, so I'm going to stop talking. Uh, Penn State's class as of right now, uh, we're saying as of right now because it is not the end of the early signing period and it's not National Signing Day, which will be next February. Uh, Penn State is still stiffing out there trying to potentially land another player or two. 20, uh, 15 players in the class as current constructed, number 21 nationally. Uh, it is the number five ranked class in the Big Ten based on the 24-7 composite score. Uh, Nick, I think when we look at this class and, you know, we, uh, it, it is a class with talent in it by uh but by basically any way that you want to define talent, it's uh, it's average player rating is a bit higher. I don't have the exact number here, but it is within the top 20. Uh, the mix of a small class and a few other things kept it from being uh, a little bit higher. But even if it was a little bit higher, even if this was the number 15 class, the number 12 class in the country, something like that. I think we can admit that this is a class with guys who we think are going to contribute, but number 21 and number five, I think it leaves a bit of a bad taste in the mouth of Penn State fans. Would you agree with that? I think the two reasons that Penn State fans might be disappointed with this class, one is something that was always going to be kind of a factor in holding them back as when it comes to you know, the national, the team rankings and all that stuff. And that's, this was always going to be a smaller class. They took 27 kids in the 2020 class. And when you consider the fact with the the free year of eligibility and all that, thanks to COVID, it just, it was never going to be, even before COVID, this wasn't going to be a big class. And just with the way those rankings work, it's really, really hard to be a super highly ranked, uh, team in those team rankings when you don't have a ton of players on there because quantity is a factor there obviously the most important thing is the quality according to those sites but quantity plays a role too but i think the other reason that fans would be disappointed with this class and to be clear we'll talk about it in a minute there's there's really shouldn't be disappointed this is a really talented class with a really a lot of really talented players but the names that are not in the class are the reason that penn state fans even the casual ones who only 
kind of follow recruiting on the uh, on the outside borders there. Those the the lack of those names are the reason why they're disappointed. The lack of Nolan Rucci and Dante Thornton and Caden Prather and uh, Jaleel Farouk, uh, Caleb Williams, Donovan Edwards, guys like that. It's those, Derek those, Davis. Derek Davis. The names that are not in the class. Most people that are less than pleased with this class. That's the reason why. And, and there's certainly some merit to it. I mean, it's something that we've spoken about on this podcast. God, it feels like every time that recruiting comes up, it's one of those things where Penn State recruiting losses over the years individually all make sense. Like, Nolan Rucci, maybe he's coming to Penn State if not for the fact that he and his brother, you, you know, his brother is at home for months and months and months. Uh, unexpectedly, and he has time to just work on convincing him to come to Wisconsin. Kyle McCord and Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, I don't know why there's a Marvin Harrison Jr. because I've never heard of a Marvin Harrison Sr. Uh, maybe that's something Maybe that's something I just need to be more cognizant of. Uh, but they were always going to go to the same place. Uh, Harrison, uh, I believe, recruit, McCord committed to Ohio State earlier because his uh, – you know, he was a better fit for their offense. Jeremiah Trotter Jr., again, a kid who committed early, wanted to go down to Clemson. Derek Davis Jr. seemed like he wanted to go somewhere warm. Elliot Donald, the last name. Donovan McMillan was a kid who just blew up. Like, all stuff that makes sense on paper. Uh, then, you know, there are the out-of-state kids who Penn State having a turnover in the receive, as, at the receiver coach and underwhelming at wide receiver over the last couple of years. Like, those things all factor into it, Nick. But in the aggregate, I think that I understand why Penn State fans are bummed out about this. Having said that, like you mentioned, there are some players in this class, and I think that the way that I would describe this with my untrained eye is that this is probably not the highest ceiling class that Penn State has had under James Franklin. Uh, there are some guys that I think are going to be pretty good football players, some guys with the potential to be very, very good football players. But I think it also isn't going to be a particularly bad class. I think it's a very high uh, floor and a very low ceiling uh, among the 15 players that we know are going to be enrolling in Happy Valley. Yeah, I'd agree. And I, real quick, just before we move on to talking about them, the other thing to consider is that and we've I know Matt has talked about, that, about this uh, on the podcast before. For Penn State, visits to campus are just such a huge deal. And you mentioned if Nolan Rucci, for example, had been able to visit campus, he could have ended up here. Really, that that's kind of the deciding factor for most of the kids that didn't end up here. I mean, think back to your your own life when you I mean, I know I know I personally had no interest in Penn State until I visited school, unless you actually grew up a Penn State fan and kind of mm -hmm. grew up being brainwashed in that way. Um, it's you know, it's it's not the most appealing place if you don't see it for yourself. Middle of Pennsylvania, not really near anything else. It's it's really its own island. So it's kind of something that as a recruit, you have to see it and you have to experience it to really soak it in and really understand why it's a special place to be. So the lack of visits is a big factor for Penn State. And obviously that couldn't happen thanks to COVID. But yeah, like you said, there are some super 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 high ceiling prospects and honestly some of some of my favorite guys that Penn State has brought in over the last few years are a part of this class uh 
real quick, Nick is correct. Uh, I did not grow up a Penn State fan, uh, but I was enamored uh, when, the first time that I went to Altoona, Pennsylvania. Uh, but yeah, what we're going to do in this podcast is we're going to break it down into offense and defense. This is the offense podcast podcast. Uh, smaller offensive class. Again, as of right now, Penn State's still in with a couple of dudes. Uh, has one quarterback, four receivers, two offensive linemen, uh, and then a guy who is probably going to end up being a tight end, uh, a potentially talented tight end that we'll talk about all of them in a moment. But to start, Nick, we start with the guy who is probably the most fascinating player in this class to me. It is a three-star quarterback prospect, Christian Veyu, 6'3 and a half, uh, from Canada originally. We went to the Bullis School, of course, famous for being the school uh, that gave us Dwayne Haskins, number 443 player in the nation, number 19 pro-style quarterback. And Nick, the thing that is so weird with him, so weird with him, is that I am going to go to my grave convinced that if he had a season this year, uh, his high school season due to COVID uh, ended up getting canceled. I think this kid had the potential to blow up this season. Every time I watch him, he has the stuff that you want to see in a quarterback down, but he lost a year of his development as a quarterback. It's a reason for concern, but it's also something that I think with enough coaching he can overcome. Yeah, real quick, that pronunciation of Veyu, is that verified? You know, if, Do you know that's correct? Did you look that up? I, I believe, I've re, I, I feel like he, I, I listened to a past podcast that he was on or watched an interview with him or something, but I'm pretty sure it is Veyu. Uh, worst case scenario, uh, I'm, uh, you know, besmirching French Canadians, in which case uh, to our a plethora of listeners in Montreal, I apologize. Yeah, I mean, phonetically, that makes sense. We can uh, we can consult with our resident French expert, Doug Leeson, on that, too. Um, yeah, so Christian Bayou is, like you said, obviously big blind spot at this point since he didn't get to play as a senior uh, due to COVID-19. But before this season started and before, I guess before the Maryland season was officially canceled, most of the recruiting sites, I, I specifically remember two, remember 247 and Rivals each kind of posting along the lines of, we are really excited to watch Christian Veyu play football this year. And it seemed like pretty much everyone was poised to give him a ratings bump. Now, again, not that that really matters at this point. Once he signed, those ratings no longer matter. But it sure did see, I mean, he got an invite to the Elite 11. He was a standout on the first day. I think he kind of faded after that, but... Clearly, he is a guy who's talented and has talent. And it's it from what you can tell from his tape, his offense at the Bullis School, not necessarily the most quarterback friendly offense in the world, but the positive things you can see on his film, you can see the touch he has on his passes, and he seems to be generally a pretty good decision maker. In my mind, those are the two most important qualities that a high school quarterback can have. Big arm, sure, that's great, but kids get stronger when they get to college and you don't need to have the biggest arm to succeed. Trace McSorley did not have the biggest arm and he was the most successful quarterback in Penn state history. It's the things that you can't teach are the mental side is the mental side of the game. And that really, especially for the, what the Penn state offense currently is, that's the decision making. And that's why I'm excited about Bayou. Yeah. I, I, whenever I watch his tape, he looks like, 
I don't want to say a ball of clay, because I feel like a ball of clay applies more to the Tommy Stevens or the Will Levis type, but he's someone who just needs to be coached up. Like, he's a kid who, when I look at Penn State's quarterback room, Nick, they're going to have Sean Clifford back next year, probably. Who knows what happens with Will Levis? So, if I'm just looking at the underclassmen, you know, who takes over after Sean Clifford leaves. It's Daquan Roberson, it's Micah Bowens, it's Christian Bayou. Of those three, I think Roberson inherently has an advantage based on how much time he's going to spend in Happy Valley. But between the fact that he is he, he is going to be enrolling early and the fact that he's someone who, like you said, he has a lot of stuff in his game. He has a respectable arm, he's accurate, he can move a bit, he seems like someone who, as he bulks up, his arm is going to get stronger. This is a kid that I I feel confident betting on to be a good quarterback. Whether or not he's the kind of quarterback Penn State needs to start competing to push Ohio State and make it into the playoff is a completely different story. But when it comes to just, will this kid be someone who plays? I think it's pretty easy to see him take lining up behind center in Happy Valley. Yeah, I agree. He's he's a good-looking prospect, and I it's unfortunate that he lost that senior year, but in a way, it could be spun as a good thing because it's just a few less data points of a high school offense to kind of work out of his system as he works into his new college system. And then... He is going to have plenty of options to throw to, uh, not just because Penn State's receiver room has been surprisingly good uh, this year. Penn State recruited this position really, really well. Yakima's own Taylor Stubblefield did a good job pulling this uh, class together. Four-star Pennsylvania product, Lonnie White, the number 195 player in the nation, uh, three-star Ohio product, Liam Clifford, younger brother of Sean Clifford, the number five six one, number 529 prospect in the nation, Harrison Wallace, uh, another three-star out of Alabama, a late flip to Penn State from Duke, the number 552 player in the nation, a six-one receiver. Of that trio, only Clifford is not going to be enrolling early. Uh, Nick, when I look at this receiver class, I see one guy in Clifford who really comes off to me like, you know, he's just a really safe option at receiver. He's going to get open. He's going to catch passes, all that. And then I look at two guys in Wallace and White, White especially, with the kind of speed, agility, and athleticism to give Penn State just dudes on the outside of its offense. Yeah, all three guys kind of bring something a little bit different to the table. Lonnie White Jr. is the one who, he's one of my favorite players that James Franklin's ever recruited to Penn State. He just has a crazy high ceiling. For years, we've been talking about how Penn State, really since Chris Godwin left, we've talked about how Penn State doesn't really have, and even it's it's even debatable if Godwin was really that guy. Really, you could go back to Allen Robinson, to have kind of that ball hawk, go up and get it, I can beat anyone one-on-one situation type receiver. And Lonnie White, to me, is the guy who most fits that profile that we've seen Penn State pick up since Justin Shorter. Uh, obviously, Shorter didn't work out for whatever re- for one reason or another, but Lonnie White Jr. really looks like he could be the guy to really take a stranglehold of that number one receiver position. Um, of course, the worry always the worry existing there with him is if he does 
get drafted high enough in the major league baseball draft and chooses to pursue a career there instead, which, you know, hard to blame him if he becomes a high pick there. But he is someone who has one of the highest ceilings, I think, of anyone James Franklin has ever recruited. Liam Clifford, I think, is a going to remind fans a lot of Parker Washington, actually. Uh, He's a little bit bigger and he's not as quick as Washington, but he has good speed. He can break tackles in the open field, but he's a great route runner and he's a savvy route runner. I think he's going to be someone that comes in ready to play right away. And I think that his uh, eventual destination actually is in the slot. So I think right away he's going to be backing up Parker Washington. And for my money, he's the best bet of these three receivers to play as a freshman. I think he's someone who will get on the field early. Um, and you know, even just even if for no other reason, it'd be kind of cool to see Sean throw to Liam a couple times. That'd be that'd be kind of fun. Uh, and then finally, Harrison Wallace is kind of the wild card guy because we just haven't really seen much of him. Um, and his highlight tape is it's just fascinating to watch because. I mean, seriously, if if you haven't seen it, go watch it because dude doesn't even look like he's trying. Like he is one of the longest striders I've ever seen. Like he he takes two steps in the span that it takes defensive backs to take like twelve. It's ridiculous. It doesn't even look like he's trying to get by, but then you you blink and he's five steps past the dude who's covering him. It's fascinating to watch. He's also a a really good basketball player. It looks like he has some crazy highlight tape of him dunking. It, it's clear that he's a really explosive athlete. Six one one eighty, pretty good size already. Um, again, I mean, he could be somebody who comes out and plays as a freshman, but we just don't know much about him. Uh, so it's kind of hard to predict exactly what will happen in that regard as far as early playing time. But it's like we mentioned before, there's a lot of names that Penn State didn't end up with at receiver in this class, but I really, really like the trio that they did grab. Yeah, I mean, this, that's it's an interest. I'm glad you mentioned that, Nick, because the, every rating that we're going to read is 24-7's composite rating. Uh, but if you're going by 24-7's just site ratings, they love this receiver class. Uh, White goes from number 195 to the number 30 and number 34 receiver in the country to 71 overall and nine at receiver. Uh, Liam Clifford goes from a three-star prospect to a four-star prospect, number 83 receiver by composite to the number 37 nationally. Uh, And Wallace is another kid like that goes from the number 88 receiver in the country, a three-star to the number 35 receiver, a four-star. And when you look at Penn state's uh, receiver class by uh, wide receiver rate uh, ratings, Nick, you mentioned some of the names that Penn state missed out on. Lonnie White is a more highly rated recruit on 24-7 than Dante Thornton. It's by one spot, admittedly, so it's not like he's blowing him out of the water, but he's a higher rated recruit than uh, than Thornton. He's a higher rated recruit uh, than Marvin Harrison Jr., whose dad I've never heard of. He's a higher rated recruit than Jaleel Farouk. If you keep going down, Harrison Wallace, 35, William Clifford, 37, you keep scrolling down a little bit more, and then you run into Caden Prather. Like, this is a class that the people who have gotten a chance to see more of this receiver class really, really likes what it sees. They're three big-bodied guys, 6'2 in White, 6'1 in Clifford, uh, in Wallace. You mentioned how their skill sets are so complementary of one another, Nick. And when you just, when you look at Wallace, you see the speed, you see the just how easy football looks for him. When you see Clifford, 
smooth route runner, physical dude. I I would not be surprised if he ends up catching everything thrown his way because he just seems like the kind of sure-handed dude um, that you want out of a receiver. And then White, he's one of those guys who's been so good at every every sport that he has played that the concept of him sitting down and focusing on football, uh, especially because he is an early enrollee, as is uh, Wallace, Clifford is not, that's exciting. And he... He is the guy who, when we are looking back on this class in a few years, I think the possibility exists that we are doing backflips over the fact that Lonnie White decided uh, to come to Penn State. Uh, They aren't the only pass catchers in this class, though, uh, because they did, Penn State did pull in an interesting tight end recruit, uh, in Khalil Dinkins, 6'3", 220, the number 655 player in the nation, number 34 tight end, uh, from Wexford, PA, his dad, Darnell Dinkins, went to Pitt, played in the NFL for eight years. Nick, he's another guy who there's a bit of a disconnect between the composite rating is 24-7 rating, 24-7 has him as the number, as the number 12 tight end in the nation, and a four-star recruit, he's a guy I haven't seen a ton of, but everything that I have seen indicates that if Penn State tells him, all right, we're redshirting you without a doubt, you might not play in your redshirt freshman year, we're going to keep molding you, they might have something here, and it might end up being someone that Penn State fans fall in love with. Yeah, Dinkins is... One of, if not the most uh, just purely athletic players in the class. He really is a marvel. Uh, 6'3", 220. He's a big kid, too. You can see why he profiles so well at tight end. It is worth noting that it it really does sound like most places wanted him on the defensive side of the ball. And at Penn State, it sounds like, does have interest in him as a linebacker as well. But he wants to play tight end. So that's where he'll start. It is worth noting that just because, it, I mean, a lot of times coaches will just do what they can to get the kid on campus and then eventually convince them to switch to where they want to. It's a pretty similar situation to when they grabbed John Holland out of the Bullis school. Uh, he was listed as a defensive end tight end. It seemed like they wanted him more defensive end, but he wanted to play tight end. They gave him the choice. He chose tight end. He um, did end up there eventually, but there was talk of him switching over at some point before he ended up transferring. Um, but yeah, Dinkins is a really a really interesting prospect, and it's the benefit of Penn state's recruiting prowess when it comes to tight ends is that they have a loaded room right now and they don't need to rush him into anything so they can really take their time and help Uh him develop. Um, But we already, like I said, he has great size already. So once he picks the game up, there's no reason he can't jump up on the depth chart pretty quickly. Good athlete too. I mean, I think that whenever uh, I, I think that can be implied a bit, uh, whenever you're talking about a guy who you're betting on potential and you're betting on him being turned into something. But uh, Dinkins is an impressive athlete and someone who, uh, again, once he finds a position, once he sticks to the position, once he gets coached up, he has a chance. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to be Pat Fryermuth, he's going to be Mike Gesicki or anything like this, but he seems like he has the potential to be a really reliable option uh, on Penn State's offense. Uh, moving on to the final two players of Penn State's offensive class. Uh, one is the alpha dog of this class, uh, Landon Tengwall, a four-star 
offensive lineman, the number 50 offense, uh, 50 player in the nation, number seven, uh, was sort of offensive tackle, the top player from the great state of Maryland. Uh, he committed to Penn State very early on uh, in this entire process. And then Nate Bruce out of Harrisburg, uh, another one of those kids, three star, 557 nationally, uh, 6'4", 3'20", 24-7. Loves him, though, on their ratings. Uh, Four-star, number 18, offensive guard. Nick, I think the thing that is so interesting here is, one, Bruce is just a gigantic human being. He's someone who is going to be... Uh, he, he's someone who has the strength and the physicality to make it along the offensive line. He, you know, he's another one of those guys who... Uh, I think we've kind of gotten used to with Penn State, where it's you get him on campus, you be patient with him, and eventually maybe something works out. But Tangwall is really, really interesting to me because you look at him, you watch him play football. It he seems like the rare true freshman is going to be enrolling early, as as is Bruce. He seems like the rare true freshman who could play from day one if absolutely needed. Yeah, and real quick, just because you've mentioned it a few times, 247 does like this Penn State class a lot more than the composite does. I think nine of the 15 kids in the class are four stars according to the composite, and I think it's only like four or five of them or according to Penn State, and only four or five of them are four stars according to the composite. Um, tip, I mean, tip, we, we, we're good friends with the people over at 247, so we do typically trust their ratings more than others. Worth noting that they've had plenty of misses their way as well that other, that other sites have been ended up being accurate on and they weren't so it's not they're not the end all be all but uh it's it's a night it's good to see that the that at least they with their vast resources of uh talent evaluators see penn state's class pretty highly and, and uh, listen yeah, ju- if, if i may interrupt for a second one of two things are going to happen either they're right and they're smart or they weren't right and nobody is going to listen to this podcast again in three years also if they're not right who cares because this happens every year. People get stuff wrong. It's, exactly. it's an impossible thing to predict. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, so Landon Tengwall, I'll start there. Yeah, he is, I mean, pound for pound, might be the best offensive lineman Penn State has gotten under James Franklin. I'd, ha- I'd have to... Okay. I'd have really, to think you, you'll that, say that over but... Michael Mennett. I th- see the thing with Tengwall, I think that puts him ahead of Mennett for me. And, and that's really close because Michael Mennett was a fantastic prospect and a fantastic player. But the thing with Tengwall that makes him so interesting is that he could legitimately play anywhere along the offensive line. I think Mennett was pretty, pretty set in the interior. I, I mean, I mean, he's talented and athletic enough. I'm sure he could have handled tackle too, but Tengwall really, really can play anywhere. Six, six, 300. He has the size to play anywhere along the line, probably best suited for the interior. I think that's where he ends up, but he is just a nasty, nasty football player. He is a, he's ready to go right now. I think he barring, uh, barring transfers. Cause you never know what'll happen now. We've already seen some quotes that say that Penn state is going to be very active in the transfer portal and uh, ahead of the 2021 season. So if they bring in a uh, more veteran offensive guard, then perhaps this goes out the window. But I do think Tengwall has a great chance to compete for playing time as a true freshman next year. And even if they, even if they do bring in a uh, transfer, I think he'll get a shot to show what he can do. Nate Bruce actually reminds me a lot of CJ Thorpe as a recruit. 
Uh, Bruce is 6'4", 320, like you said. And CJ Thorpe was 6'3", 318. And I, both of them, their kind of their defining trait as high school linemen was the fact that they just wanted to kill the dude across from them. And we've seen a bit with CJ Thorpe how that can go awry. And we've seen how that can work against you. So the hope is that Nate Bruce can learn from that and keep himself more in check and reach his full potential. But he is somebody that has been on board for a long, long time. He was the first commit in this class, and he simply has never wavered even for a moment. And sometimes when you have a guy committed that long, uh, the recruiting sites don't look as hard at him for re- when it comes to reevaluation because you know it's their job to sell subscriptions and they need people to talk about. So it's kind of an unsaid rule that you expect more movement from the uncommitted guys because they want to conspiracy Nick. I like it. Oh, I have long held this belief and I'll continue to hold it, but man, not we should uh, that right now. Listen, it, what, what, what's worse having to sell subscription or having camps? You know, it's either pick your poison, pick your poison. But yeah, Nate Bruce is somebody I think who, probably probably needs a year maybe two years before he starts seriously uh fighting for a spot on the depth chart but he also just has the look of a guy that kind of like kind of like i don't know i already compared him to cj thorpe but also similar into what mike miranda did where nobody really expected him to take a hold of a multi-year multi-year starter job but Mike Miranda was just always there, just hanging around, just getting a little bit better each day to the point that this year, last year, he split time at right guard with uh, CJ Thorpe. This year, he started at left guard. Next year, he either is probably going to start left guard or center. So I think Nate Bruce could be on a similar trajectory where he's just kind of hanging around there. And one day you realize, oh, my God, he's been starting for three years. And and listen, it's Penn State's offensive line has gotten to a point where you know, big weakness under uh, James Franklin to start, but it, it's kind of earned some trust that, you know, things are things are different at this point uh, where the guys that Penn State pulls in along its offensive line are, you, you know, they're going to turn into something if they are not the Tangwall types who, uh, you know, uh, like I think we'll probably, we'll end with superlatives on the end of the defensive podcast Tengwall, to me, seems like the safest bet in this entire class. Uh, like I mentioned, we're going to be doing two of these podcasts. So this is the end of the first one. If you enjoyed this one, uh, or even if you didn't enjoy this one, uh, listen to the second episode of the podcast. We are going to uh, we're going to talk there about Penn State's defensive uh, class. We're going to be talking a little bit about some of our favorite players, some superlatives uh, that we think exist in this class. So thank you very much for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. And because of the way that Apple Podcasts orders their podcasts, you might be listening to this second. Yeah, and if you are, um, listen, I hope you enjoyed both of them. But if not, we'll catch you on the next episode. Take care, everyone.